Welcome to the Thanks Therapy Podcast. Before we start, if you're in crisis or need urgent support, please Google the Samaritans and the country in which you live. Help can be found online and via the phone. We also put local and national helpline numbers and links in the show notes and on social media. Don't suffer alone. Things can and will get better. Enjoy the show. Hello, just a short additional disclaimer. This episode is extremely honest in dealing with the subjects of death of a loved one, grief, and your hosts will occasionally be audibly crying. If you might find this hard to listen to, skip this one for when you feel more able, and otherwise, take care. Hello, I'm Hannah Lydon. And I am Dr. Emma Lydon, and this is our therapy appreciation podcast, Thanks Therapy. Where we hope to demystify, destigmatize, and encourage the appreciation of good and useful talking therapy. And this is our comeback episode. Don't call it a comeback. This will not be an ordinary episode. Um, normal programming will resume forthwith. Yes. But for now, this is what we're doing because we lost my dad, the totally unique and utterly loved Richard Lydon. So your dad, my granddad, yeah. passed away on January 10th. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is now February 3rd and we have been dealing yeah. and not recording podcasts because we couldn't do a lot of stuff. No. Um, but we decided that because this is a podcast about emotions and honesty and therapy and crying, that yes. we would come on and cry yeah. for the podcast so, and talk to you about it. So here we go. Here we go, baby. <laughs> Thanks, therapy. Thanks, therapy. So I have put a disclaimer on this episode because the truth is we were completely devastated. Yeah. Um, And we're going to be talking about grief in a raw and honest way. And if you're recently bereaved, I think this is going to be a tough lesson for yeah. you. Or if you feel up to it, it might be really nice. And we invite you to do grieving with us. Yeah. Um, Because that is hard to do um, as we are discovering. As people already know, um, I did not know. I think this is my first major experience of a major grief. Mm -hmm. And it is very interesting, objectively. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, so we, my brother Mark died on the 6th of March last year. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we hadn't, like, I mean, there's no getting over grief anyway, but we were still in the process of, of coming to terms with that, of, we hadn't even got through the first year. That's what we were sort of trying. Let's get through the first year. Yeah. See how we're doing then. Mm-hmm. Um, and then dad died suddenly. Now, he wasn't well. And he was also 85. He was 85? Right. He wasn't well. He got, um, and, you know, it was a shock, but it wasn't a complete surprise. Yeah. Because of several things. So we've had the pandemic and... Previous to the pandemic, he would regularly, you know, get a cold off the kids and it would go into his chest and he would have a horrific cough. Yeah, really badly. For for several weeks and we would be going, God, he needs to go to the doctor. And he would refuse to go to the doctor. And (laughs) I um, mentioned to Marty not that long ago because... Because we're the kids are back in school, we're all back together and everything. I said, you know, if he gets one of those colds that goes into his chest, it could finish him. Mm. So I wasn't 
it wasn't out of the realms of possibility that this 85-year-old man with a with a underlying chest issue yeah um and you know some various different health problems that he would become sick he would fall sick and, and die but he was getting better from the thing that he was in hospital for yeah and and, then, uh, and he was his whole attitude towards sickness was just not accepting it yeah. and finding it very tedious to be considered ill in yeah. any way. And I think we all kind of, we were reassured by that. I remember thinking like, well, he's not, you know, mm-hmm. he doesn't regard himself as an old, elderly, infirm person. So mm-hmm. therefore neither do I. Well, no, I mean, I certainly didn't. So um, I, I never have never thought of my parents as old, mm-hmm. um, even though they were obviously much older than other people's parents, but they were in their in their behavior and their mind and their ways a lot younger than a lot of other people's parents yeah like they never did the middle-aged thing no they were just cool from their youth <laughs> right through but then in the last couple of years just as they approached or entered their 80s I obviously started to notice that there were certain things they'd slowed down a little bit yeah forgot some things stuff like that but whenever I took him to A&E and we were waiting for hours and hours and hours in A&E at one point he got a bit confused and so he really wasn't well but he got a bit confused and I won't go into details but I asked the nurse to come and check him because we were just still waiting and she said you know elderly people can get confused when they're out of their routine and I said no 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 that's not no he does this wouldn't be like him this is very unusual this I was thinking this is a symptom yeah this is this is something that's happening to him and I always resented people saying like elderly people as if they fitted into some kind of category which was totally homogenous and meant that they you just suddenly would fall sick or suddenly you wouldn't remember where you were that's not the case mm-hmm. and you know I really think we have to stop doing that with people who are older yeah. because you can be sharp as a tack as my 81 year old mom is mm-hmm. there's no reason why you have to be you know elderly and therefore failed but he nevertheless, he was 85, whereas my brother, it would have been his 60th birthday um, just a few days after dad died. So that's a much more of an unfair death that was harder to make sense of. And certainly for my parents, it was harder to make sense of. But when, you know, an older person dies, you think, well, this is the natural order of things, isn't it, really? He had yeah. a fantastic life. There were no regrets. But we're deeply sad and we'll miss him so much. <sighs> and as Hannah says, we're we're finding out more about how grief affects you since he died. So first of all, we had the funeral. So we had a week and a half of preparing for that or a week or something. And my whole philosophy around that was like trying to get through it. Mm-hmm. We have to do this thing. We have to do it well. And, and me and my sister were just working so hard to get everything organised. Um, I was getting playlists organised. I was organising songs for the crematorium, photographs, talking to people, making sure who could come, all that kind of stuff. And that provided a great focus. Um, the day after the funeral was was that's when it started to be really horrifically bad. Yeah. Um, Because you don't have any, you run out of tasks. No. Um, And you're just left with the reality (laughs) of it. 
yeah, you don't have any jobs left to do. And your only job then is to be with your uncomfortable feelings of sadness. Yeah. And that is really hard. And um, for as much as we come on here and talk about how you need to feel your feelings and sit with it and process them, we are as bad as anyone else at doing that. I think you and I are maybe similar in that way where um, you were you were very busy in the lead up to the funeral um, doing like a really amazing job, like writing the eulogy, um, organising everyone else, mm. putting photos and music and everything Protecting together. mum, looking after mum. Looking after everybody. Um, and I I went skating a lot. Mm-hmm. I've done a lot of skating. Because yeah. I thought, if I just... If I physically exhaust my body mm. <laughs> and throw myself around a, a skating rink mm-hmm. and fall over a lot, then I, I my brain will be occupied yeah. by those things. Yeah. And then I went to the skating rink the the Friday after Granda's funeral, which was Wednesday. Um, and I it was like I didn't have control over my body or my limbs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was really excited to go. I love skating. I'm good at it. And... I got there and I was like, I'm, I, I am making so many mistakes. I, I don't think I have control over my legs. Mm. And one of my friends was like, do you think you might be really exhausted? Mm. And I was like, no, that cannot be a possibility. <laughs> what could possibly be making me tired? Yeah. And um, they played the Macarena mm-hmm. and that made me cry. Mm. At the at the at the rink, yeah. and I thought, hmm, this is not this brief, intense coping mechanism that I was really relying on is not working anymore. No, so that that was my unusual experience. I mean, I think that the the thing whenever somebody dies and you have to organize the funeral, um, it's it is sort of helpful in in that you're doing something and you. You're doing it with a focus which is entirely about this person's memory, mm-hmm. making sure that you have a, a, an event that is um, representative of them as a person. And yeah. I know that that sounds like a big ask and it is a big ask. But yeah, but you only have one opportunity to do that yeah. on that day. Um, but I really wanted to make sure that I did, that I gave him a really good send off, you know, because yeah. he deserved it. And um, one of the things that in the days after the funeral, I couldn't really think about it. Like I just couldn't think about it, despite it being everybody saying it was beautiful service and it was so unique and it was so special and there was lots of really good things and the things I said about him were lovely. And um, I I couldn't think about it. Mm. I couldn't really look at pictures of him. I was delaying having to think about it. And again, I think that's okay. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't forever. Now, if if I was going, la, 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 I'm in the street, <laughs> pretending nothing happened. <laughs> that would be a bit weird. Um, um, maybe some, some one of us would say, hey, Emma, do you think maybe <laughs> the dancing is not working? Or yeah. how long is this Why, dancing stage going to last gonna for? Are you going to come in from the street? Why are you in the street? <laughs> um, then that, I mean, that's proper denial. But I do think that it's rare that people literally pretend it hasn't happened. Yeah. Um, I think it's more common when somebody dies, if they die far away or if there's a question mark or then you can sort of pretend um, that, that it hasn't happened. But the type of denial, um, I'm actually going to talk about the stages of grief, so I won't 
I won't jump ahead to that. I suppose what we're talking about more is like pacing ourselves with um, absorbing that information. Yeah. But what I didn't realise, because with Mark, he was terminally ill Mm -hmm. and we knew for a long time before he died that he was going to die. And so I did a lot of pre-grieving with him. So I cried a lot, a lot, a lot before he died. Yeah. Um, and you know, I, I think just so that the the experience of death when the person does die then is different. The experience of grief is is different. It's it's no less painful, but it is it's different in mm-hmm. a way. Um, and so in this this situation, um, what I find is first of all, it's the brain fog. I didn't really know about the brain fog. Yeah. That's not not a being new able discovery. to to think about think doing things like putting fill in the coffee um, machine, so putting water <laughs> in the jug, and then just setting that into the <laughs> into the coffee machine, and then and turning it coffee on. Arrives. And no, it just made a burny smell, <laughs> and I went, "Oh, I've done that wrong. Something's wrong there." Um, forgetting <laughs> words, forgetting t- the time, forgetting dates, forgetting things. You know, just like such a brain fog. And I'm such a workaholic, as listeners of this podcast will know. So the first thing that I did when I realized I wasn't going to be in work that day was I emailed work and I was like, I won't be in today because my dad has just died. Yeah. And then the next day I had to be like, oh, I'm not going to be in for quite some time. Yeah. And um, I think they left me alone until after the funeral and then there was a lot of negotiation about it which was very stressful because yeah. there's no way I could have been in work. I could not think. No, definitely I've only not. recently been able to think about, first of all, doing the podcast uh-huh. and also looking at my emails for my workplace. So the brain fog, tiredness, the insomnia, mm. waking up at four o'clock in the morning just coming downstairs and being like, oh, I'm up now. Okay. Um, those are all things that I didn't expect on top of the sadness mm. and the <sighs> regret, I suppose. So we had, but we did have give him a really, really good send off, didn't we, Hannah? It was beautiful. I was really like, because my, some of my close friends came to the, to the funeral. They, they knew him obviously, and that's why they were there. Um, but m- my friend, Chris Laverty, noted academic Chris Laverty mm. texted me after and said it was really nice to be there today I feel like I I knew him better now yeah um, because he hadn't spent that much time with them yeah um, and I felt really like proud to like sort of show off the kind of life he had mm-hmm. it was so impressive I, I, you know I was you guys will know how impressed we were with him but when he was alive, like this is not something that has just come up since he's died. Yeah. We were obsessed with him in a way. <laughs> yeah. And we we told him that like when we put walking on the podcast, I let him hear that. And then I told him that I had told the story about him changing jobs. And I was saying, wasn't that because I've maybe mistold this story, Dad, but wasn't that because you realized that the the weapon you were making was going to come into the tank and bounce around and mm. and kill people and you were like hold on I'm a pacifist and he said well no it was because of um 
Elijah Quincy, Elijah the conscientious Quincy. objector. <laughs> and we had this obsession with oh with my, my dad saying hilarious names. Like he knew all these people that were called like Hammy Hogg, which was <laughs> short for Hamilton Hogg. And <laughs> there are so many we should compile them. We'll somewhere. compile the names and we'll we'll let you know we'll just read them out sometime just as a as a postscript to the podcast. But <laughs> he knew how entertained we were by him and appreciative of him. He sort of thought, uh, sometimes he so- thought we were making fun of him. Yeah. And and he said, it seems like it's maybe a wee bit of making fun. And I said, no, Dad, it's no, not. It's just, so appreciate, it's just appreciation yeah. of how funny and interesting. And, you know, that was cool. But he, he, then when you start, when people are coming and talking to you about him, um, about because he, you know, he lived for eighty five years and he really, really lived those years. Yeah, he did a lot of stuff, a lot of very deeply cool stuff. That if um if I met someone doing those things now, I would be like, wow, this this person is doing life very well. Yeah, and is doing it in quite a groovy, chill kind of a way. He, yeah, because he, he was really not did. um he wasn't the sort of person who's like, I'm doing this now. How class am I? Yeah, he's like, I'm gonna, do, I'm gonna, do, I think I'm gonna do this, and you'd go, all right, okay. And then he would do it and it would be very unique and often quite hilarious, whatever he would be up to. Yeah. Um, which is sort of a great way to live. But we talked in our eulogy because um, his friend um, Derek Wilson talked brilliantly about his work and also about his music and playing with the Triangle was the first band that he was in. And they actually pl- played for... Um, Princess Anne in the Albert Hall or something like really? that. Really? The Triangle did? Yeah, yeah. That was a big thing I used to oh. always tell people when I was in primary school. Um, and, uh, you know, he so he did a lot of things and they talked about his work. And, I mean, he him and uh, Sam McCready really established youth and community work in Northern Ireland and they wrote a massive book about it, like the, the fundamental book of youth and community work in Northern Ireland. It's enormous of it a book. It's like a big, massive. It's it's kind of a textbook, really. Yeah, it's a, it's the fun. It's the quintessential textbook. Mm-hmm. I talked to Roger about it, and he said, "You well, people will just be referencing that book. They'll be going to that if they need any information." Because I was like, "This is so big and boring. <laughs> like, who's going to read this?" <laughs> I've tried to read. I've read the introduction chapter, mm. and it is incredibly dense. It's so dense. I just never understood how detailed it was. It's like there's, you know, it goes from like the years 1962 to 1965, you know, like in a, <laughs> in a small, in a large section. And you're like, what? OK. Well, when Grandin was writing that, he because my I sort of would see him. He would say, I'm going up to study. I'm going to work on the book. Yeah. And I kind of thought like, oh, he's just up there writing things. Mm. And then when I saw the book, I was like, right, you have been, this is incredibly detailed. And mm-hmm. I think a few times we were chatting about it. I was like, how's the book going, Granda? Um, thinking I would just get a sort of like, yeah, you know, just a bit of editing to do. And he would tell me something that he was agonizing over. Yeah, he found it very painful. It was very difficult for him to, I think he, he also wanted, because so much of it is with the context of the Troubles, mm-hmm. he wanted to explain that in detail but also he said I can't write a book about the troubles yeah <laughs> I was like nobody is expecting you to write another book about the troubles it's I know it's not your job to do that but um because it was so intimately linked with um with the development of like the youth service and mm-hmm. um 
I just sort of, I used to ask him, how's the book going? Kind of as a way to get him to just tell me stories. Yeah. Um, which were always <laughs> really brilliant um, mm -hmm. and fascinating. Yeah. Um, when, you know, when someone talks about the troubles in a way that I have not experienced because I was born in the 90s. Mm -hmm. So I arrived after things were very difficult. Oh, that's and I, right. Yeah, you were born. I didn't oh, yeah. grow up in it. Mm. And then he was in the middle of it as a young man yeah. working with people who were um, involved in violence. Mm -hmm. And his whole approach was extremely non-judgmental. Yeah. And I think that has shaped all of our, the whole family's brains. It has, absolutely. I think we have, um, it, it's it's hard to estimate really how much he's shaped us, but I know he has shaped all of us in the music, in the, in the academic stuff, in the attitude, in, mm -hmm. you know, so much stuff. But in my, in mine and Su Susie's eulogy and um, also the stuff that Topher said, I wanted to I wanted to talk about what he was like for us just as a day to day person, mm -hmm. you know, just the character of him, the little things really, because so Derek really beautifully covered um, all the impressive work and, and all the great stuff that he'd done and also their um, their social life as the Gang of Nine. Mm -hmm. So they had a, a group of friends <laughs> called the Gang of Nine and they were headers, absolute <laughs> party animals. Do you know when I when they, when they I hear that phrase, I obviously I know all the people and I've seen photographs of them all being young and partying and stuff. Yeah. But in my head, I mix those photos that I've seen of young people in the 60s and 70s uh -huh. with like a Fleetwood Mac album cover. Yeah. That is the vibe. That was their whole lives, I <laughs> That's think. That's the whole thing. <laughs> but um, so we talked about the day to day things. So I talked about the fact that, you know, we talked about that he was a sun worshipper and we talked about the fact that he was really accident prone. Yeah. And, you know, he was there was a period of time in my childhood where I just remember him constantly running into the house <laughs> with an injury to his hand, a yeah. big cut that would yeah. be bleeding profusely. And at that time, we were really into using the inner membrane of an egg. Yes. So he would come in saying, break an egg, break an egg. <laughs> <laughs> and we would get the inner membrane and put it round the wound and then sort of bandage it up and it helped the healing. But um, he was so accident prone. And so I told the story of when the, the greenhouse, the first greenhouse arrived and mum said, give him scissors to open that box down there and not cut himself. And there's all the glass panels and the metal bits and everything like yeah. that. And he cut himself on the cardboard opening <laughs> the box. So he was accident prone, um, but he was, you know, he was just great fun. He was great fun to be around. And me and him had a lovely time doing the music together. I remember about seven or eight years ago, the singer and banter um, stopped stopped wanting to do that. She had a health thing and, and she didn't want to do it anymore. And they asked, would I do it? And whenever we went out or if I was ever talking to anybody... I would say what a privilege it was to get to sing with him. And I didn't take any minute of that for granted. I really didn't. And I'm so glad that I didn't. I'm so glad that at the time I had enough forethought to think, really appreciate this. Yeah. Really appreciate it. And I did. And it was fucking brilliant. Excuse my language. <laughs> I never swear on the podcast. That's my job. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where we've been, guys. And I'm sure you understand our 
need to pause and reflect and and take a bit of time. And for those of you who've also experienced a loss, um, you will know where we're coming from. I did want to just talk a, a little bit about the stages of grief. Just and and also just try and bring it into the context in which we're experiencing it. So, do you know much about the five stages of grief, Hanzo? I didn't know there was five. I didn't think there was a defined number. Well, it's it's sort of contentious. So the initial, the five stages of grief was Elizabeth Kubler Ross came up with those five stages oh, of grief. Um, but since then, people have said things like there's seven stages or. It's less of a stage system and more of a kind of a yeah. spectrum or a or a circular um, sort of system rather than a this stage, then this stage. Yeah. But nobody anymore thinks that you have to go through the stages in a linear way. I mean, I don't think anybody ever really did. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the the name, though, the, the phrase that we use, stages of grief, is very misleading. It really, is misleading, yeah. It. I mean, when they initially, when they were written about... She Kubler Ross in her writing made it clear that the stages are no, are nonlinear. Oh, but right. I think the fa- as you say that the phrase is misleading in itself. So the five stages are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. Mm. So denial. So we talked a little bit about this earlier, and that's why I sort of said let's let's talk about it when we're talking about stages of grief, because I think often people think that this means literally like denying that the death is true. Yeah. Um, but actually I understand it more as like a feeling of numbness mm-hmm. or a carrying on as usual in the early days after a bereavement. Yeah. It's unusual but psychologically possible that someone would attempt to genuinely not accept the death. But that might occur, as I said, if the person died far away or they were missing but not confirmed as happens often in our cr- true crime mm. yeah. land in which we live. Um, but even if we know in our heads that someone has died, it can be hard to believe that mm-hmm. someone important to us isn't coming back. Um, it's also very common people feel the presence of someone who's died or even see them sometimes. And I think sometimes that happens in like, you know, in your sleep, not in your sleep as in a dream, but like you wake up and you think you see the person. Yeah. I know people in our family have had that experience. Yeah, and it's like liminal consciousness times yes and those in between times yeah I think that's quite nice I like I quite like that idea if you're not frightened or if you don't find it disturbing or upsetting there's something um I don't know there's like a sort of looseness of that with that that I I think is quite nice I know not everybody's into that kind of thing but um I I like that idea I've never experienced it but I think it's um because we are, you know, humans. Yes. And we think we know everything. <laughs> I like when I hear those stories because I think we really don't know anything. We don't know anything. Mm-hmm. And I like that sense because it, I don't know, there's something about that that makes me think like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know a single thing. Yeah. You're much more flexible in your thinking around that. Whereas I'm much more both. like it's your brain. Your brain did that. Yeah. You're a realist. I'm a total materialist. I'm but a spooky weirdo about those sorts of things. I like it though. I yeah. find it comforting and I, yeah. I can see why people don't really like that because it's not mm. as quantifiable or something. Yeah. Um. So then the, the second stage, although again, not linear, is anger. Anger. And I have been pissed off, I gotta say. <laughs> Yeah. I was kind of more angry about Mark, 
because, you know, he unfair. had so much more life left yeah. and it was unfair. Um, and I know that other family members have been angry too. And anger is a completely natural emotion um, and very nat- natural after someone dies. Death can seem really cruel and unfair. And especially when you um, feel as someone has died before their time mm. or you had plans for the future, you know. God, Emma, how did you think you were going to say some of these things, honestly? <laughs> very ambitious. This is an ambitious episode that it we're making. It is hugely ambitious because the thing is, is it's still happening. I'm yeah. still crying this morning. I cried last night. I cry. I cried preparing this episode because I think for me, it's hard to come to terms with having to miss him forever. Yeah. You know, he was 85, but I'm not quite 40. Mm-hmm. So that's a long time to miss somebody who you loved and enjoyed their company so much. And that's, you know, and it's just, it's quite painful and hard to conceptualise, um, you know, that, that there's a long time ahead of me in this, you know. But one word that has been used about him so much in like cards and people um, talking about him is unforgettable. And so I just, you know, people say things like, you have the lovely memories. And that is a nice thing to say. I'm not saying don't say that to people. It is true. And it's it's nice. It's hard for it to be comforting at the early stages because you don't want just the memories. Yeah. Oh, God, Hannah. (laughs) It's fine, it's fine. Okay, so bargaining is the next one. And this is one that I don't understand quite. I don't really... In this concept. I don't understand that because what... Who are you bargaining with? Mm. What's the... So I think it's the traditional, you know, like the melodramatic film where somebody's going, just bring him back, take me instead or something <laughs> like that. Because I understand it more in terms of like questioning. Yes. Like why, yeah, why did trying this have to, work to happen, it out, you know? Trying to understand or talking to other people and being like, what do you think about this? What's your, what are your feelings? Yeah. Like trying to grasp around for like, um, to make sense of it. Yeah. Um. But I haven't really experienced that. No. I personally have not felt that. Mm. Um, in the first week after he passed away, and I was having to sort of tell friends and stuff and letting people know, and people were being really kind, um, and people were saying, oh, you know, we, we know you were so close, you must be so upset. And I obviously, I was like, yes, I am upset, but I kept, I kept hearing myself say, I'm taking a philosophical approach. And then eventually I was like, Hannah, you need to stop saying that because it's it sounds like you're detached mm-hmm. or or not coping with it or something. Yeah. Um but I What did you mean by that? What I meant was um I was choosing to think about the whole entire picture of his whole entire life. Yeah. And the life of our family rather than my own pain. Yeah. Um, and I think that helped me cope 
uh, right up until the funeral. And mm -hmm. then the day after the funeral, I was like, now I am so devastated and yeah. sad. Yeah. Um, and I do think that actually, I think we were all like that before. Um, you know, like I, at one point I was running out of a bedroom with a beautiful <laughs> picture that I'd found <laughs> of him, crying uproariously. Yeah. But it was just like running about, crying and also being like, but hi, wasn't that wonderful that he did that? And isn't that brilliant that people are saying all these wonderful things about him? And um, my auntie Gwyneth, who's his younger sister, I was talking to her yesterday on the phone and she said, so one of the things that we did at the funeral was I had it all planned that some of the male members of the family would walk into the church yeah. with his beautiful wicker coffin and I had it all sorted so that the funeral directors would make sure they were physically moving the coffin, and the and it was mm. a symbolic gesture of the of the men bringing him in. Yeah. And then a few of the women in the family were going to walk him out. It was me, you, um, Susie, my sister, and your mother, <laughs> um, and Natalie. Yeah. Anyway, that was mainly I picked those people because they were the most senior and the mo most close to him, but also there was only really room for four women around the coffin. Yeah, it was a small church as well. <laughs> it's a small church. And so whenever it was time to lead him out and the funeral director indicated to me that those people should come forward to walk out with them, mum -hmm. leapt to her feet <laughs> and started gathering all the women in the family. Yeah. All of them. I loved it. Lucy, come on, Lucy, come on. Ellen, Ellen couldn't actually get round to us and also was, there was not there was no room there for her by that wasn't time. Room. All the women in the family and Joe. Yeah. Because she just was grabbing everybody. But then what happened was he was basically he we exited the church. He was led out with a massive gang of women around him. Yeah. It was unbelievable. And what Gwyneth said to me was what a legacy. What a legacy. Do you know that I didn't know that that was the plan? Right. I didn't know that was the plan. I thought I told you. I really no. thought I told you about it's that. It's okay. really fine if a, a few details were dropped. It was quite a stressful time. <laughs> it, was, it was intense, yeah. <laughs> um, I thought that was so gorgeous. And also it was kind of, there was something sort of, I don't want to say funny, but because it there was... It was funny, I was, was laughing. Fu it yeah. was funny. Like there were so many of us and... People had to move their chairs so People that we could get down the aisle. to get out. And, you know, the younger kids, like my youngest sister, Joni, who's 10. That's right, she was there The kids well, all yeah. came and we all were putting a hand on the coffin. Mm -hmm. And people were sticking their arm right in through through a couple of people yeah. to try and just get a touch on it. And it was sort of, it was very sweet and and silly and, and funny and mm -hmm. nice. It was. Um, and very moving. And I think... He would have really liked that because it was kind of it was kind of a comedy. Yeah, <laughs> it was very moving and it was, you know, it was meaningful, but it was an expression of how how much people thought about him and yeah. how significant he was to those women. He used to complain that I'm in a house full of women here. And he was so <laughs> delighted when Marty would come come for dinner yeah. and he would get a good chat to him because you know, there was was a lot of noisy women in his life, you know, but um But I think he he loved that as he well did because love it, yeah. we were talking about this um maybe just shortly after he died. But he was entirely non 
non-patriarchal and non-hierarchal. Yes. So the the women leading him out would have been, he would have thought that was fantastic. Yeah. Um, Because he didn't really like those systems where it's, you know, men leading and then yeah. women after. Remember they left their church because him and him and Nanny stopped going to their to one church or stopped going when a certain pastor was speaking because uh-huh. the one of the, the new pastor arrived and said something in their first sermon like um and God is above man and man is above woman mm-hmm. and I remember them they left. that telling me that they left because of this and I was the teenager and I was like that is the fucking coolest thing I've ever heard yeah. that you're leaving your church. They were complete legends. They were just very not about that. Consistently, yeah. Um, so I think he would have he would have loved that. And mm-hmm. also the fact that there was such a big gang of us. I know. It was ridiculous. <laughs> it was very but it was nice. And but I then I couldn't think about that afterwards for a while because I kept thinking it was as unique as him. It was like sort of very gorgeous and it was gorgeous, yeah. Um uh, the we went after to have sort of tea and drinks and stuff, and you had put together a really beautiful slideshow of photos mm-hmm. with yeah, um, and a very excellent playlist yeah, which was all his favorite songs, all his favorite songs, and I'm I was sort of, you know, when you're trying to chat to everyone and say hi to people you haven't seen in years and all this kind of thing, but I kept kind of being drawn in, looking at these gorgeous photos because all of them were so beautiful, um. Yeah. And really, like, showed his character. Yeah. Um, Took a good picture. He did take a good picture. (laughs) Handsome man. He was. So the next stage is depression. Oh, I forgot that we were talking about the stages. Sorry about this one. But, I mean, the sadness (laughs) and the longing are what we think of when we think of grief, you Mm. know. And this pain can be very intense. And it comes in waves. um, And it lasts a long time. Yeah. But it does come in, come in waves. I mean, we have been able to laugh, even in the funeral, even we had a huge wake which involved music and dancing and crying and drinking and, you know, and enjoyment and appreciation and celebration of his life. And, you know, still we can, in this episode, we, we're laughing, we're crying. It happens, you know. Um. The depression phase is, oh, as a person who has spent quite a bit of time in the depression phase in general, yeah, um, that is tricky. That is trickier for me, um, because I think it was like two days ago, I, I, I maybe did a bit of denial. I did the denial thing because mm-hmm. I took a week off uni and work, and then spoke to my boss and my uni people and said hello this happened and I had to have a week off there but I'm back now and hello let's let's all do our jobs as normal yeah and then when I tried to do that mm-hmm. and be at those things and go back into my normal routine mm. my body did not agree no it wasn't it was far too soon and it yeah. was as if I was standing in work on Saturday afternoon and I, it was as if I was being pulled down to the floor oh, with God. how exhausted I was. Yeah. I was like, I don't know why I'm, I, have I got COVID? Like, am I sick? Mm. And got home and immediately got into bed and cried for about an hour and then slept for like 14 hours. Yeah. And then was speaking about this in therapy like two days ago mm. and kind of worked out that that is gr- grief. Yeah. It's like side swiping you and being like, bitch, you thought you were just going to get 
back to normal and start doing things mm. no you have things to do yeah and if you don't do them we will make you do them yeah it's like my my legs took me to bed and put mm-hmm. me in bed um, yeah. before I even really knew it was happening so that is I don't know I'm sure there's people listening who have had that experience well I was I was sort of not waiting for you to go to therapy but I was glad when you said I'm going to therapy because I was like oh good she's going to find out that this is grief that's happening (laughs) because I think you had mystified you had made some sort of mention about um like mental health or recovery or something and I was kind of thinking yes but the big bereavement is also a massive factor you know I mean you you were doing brilliantly before and having a great time and enjoying your life and work and uni and everything Mm. this has sideswiped you you're right that's the exact phrase that I would use it sideswiped all of us yeah but um I'm lucky that I don't you know I don't feel the pointlessness that people can often I mean there was days where I was like I don't feel that I can enjoy anything there's nothing really I want to do I've got a game on my phone which is about the only thing I can do (laughs) and I have no desire to like watch a tv program or do anything fun at all but that being said I have a lot of plans of things that I want to do that are meaningful because of who he was. Mm. Because he was my father. This is very slow talking. (laughs) (laughs) Because I'm his daughter. Um, And also with Mark as well, uh, you know, he, because he knew he was dying, he was asked you know what what do you want people to do in Mm. your memory or to carry on or what do you and he said just I want them to do creative works I want them to keep creating things and making new things making art and making dance and making music and I I find that really helpful because I was like great I'll do that yeah and so subsequently I've written an entire album the the theme of which is loss. Oh God, okay. Yeah. So before Dad died. <laughs> I didn't know died, you were doing that. Yeah, so before Dad died, we had this, we have this album has been written just over the course of the last, I would say, six months. And um, as we started to compile the songs, some of them are older songs, but most of them are, have been written for this album specifically. It became clear that the theme of the album was loss. Wow. Okay. So uh, there is a song about Mark. Um, called Cross the Sea. There's songs about breakups. There's songs about um, leaving a toxic relationship. There's songs about, it's all about loss in, in that way. It's going to be intense. I think you're going to like it. <laughs> um, intense? Us? <laughs> no. No. So, and then, you know, I, so in the same way, I think there's no way by by losing him that I would say oh I'm I'm not I'm there's no point to anything there's still a point and he taught me yeah. that there's always a point and there's always work left to be done yeah there's absolutely. always things left to do and part of that for me is supporting the young ones in the family mm-hmm. um part that was you know we've had two big funerals in the last year and we've it's really connected us mm-hmm. really Absolutely. has connected us very yeah. strongly and I just want to build on that yeah I want to make sure that the family doesn't fall apart because of the losses but comes together yeah. because of the losses you know I think that is what has happened and what is happening um and we I think we're all working quite hard 
to keep that going. Um, okay, so the last one is acceptance. Yeah. Right. So grief comes in waves and it can feel at times that nothing will be right again. But gradually, most people find that the pain eases and it's possible to accept what's happened. Mm-hmm. You never really get over the death of someone who's precious to you, but you can learn to live with the loss. Um, and I think it's obvious from this episode and how many times we've had to um, cut because we couldn't speak that <laughs> we're not quite there yet. The editing is going to be serious on this one. Yeah. Um, I was chatting to my therapist actually before Granda or Mark died mm-hmm. about grief for some reason. I think because I, I was experiencing grief about... This is the other thing I kind of wanted to say. I know it's not really the main focus of the episode, but if there's anyone listening who hasn't experienced a major loss of a person mm. and these things are sounding familiar and you don't want to claim it, grief happens f- for other things yeah. aside from death. Grief can be... I think the reason I was speaking about it with my therapist maybe a year, over a year ago, was because I was having an experience of of having grief symptoms and being like, what is, what, what is this? I have mm. no understanding of what's going on. And we worked out that I was experiencing grief for things that I could not have. Right, okay. Um, like, you know, a younger version of myself mm-hmm. missed out on X, Y, Z. Yeah. And I was suddenly finding myself bereft about these things. Yeah. Um, and looking back on that now, it helps me understand it more. Because at the time I, I was like, well, but this doesn't make any sense. I haven't lost anyone. Mm. I've had a very fortunate life, really. Yeah. Um, I'm extremely lucky. And she said, well, you know, it, it's not really, it's not a comparative exercise. Yeah. And you can't really compare in that way. Um, you're right. It's not a comparative exercise. And one of the things that I find very helpful when um, Mark died was... It was actually his daughter, Elise, had shared a thing which was saying, don't presume anybody else's grief experience. Mm-hmm. Um, just because they're laughing and having a drink one day doesn't mean that they can't get out of bed the next day. Yeah, yeah. And I would never think to, but it actually what it did was it helped me to feel less guilty about the times when I was okay. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And the, <laughs> if, if anything good has come from these two deaths it's that I feel really educated about grief now and my own experience not just I mean not like physically looking things up or anything like that but my own (laughs) experience of grief has taught me that there is no right way there's no wrong way um and you you find your way through it and I think that's what I wanted to do with I mean there could be arguments made that this was too soon to do and this podcast recording or it was too much pain to put out in the form of a podcast but actually yeah. I think that we've made an agreement with ourselves and our listeners that we are not ashamed of how we feel yeah we have feelings and they come from places of pain and hurt and confusion and there's no shame in any of that I will put a trigger warning on this episode yeah so uh, I think we're going to go and deliver ourselves some really serious food. A really excellent lunch. Like yeah. I'm going to order about four different sauces. Okay. So that's Amazing. how I'm deciding to cope is to just have Sauce only excellent coping. sauces. Yeah. So I would just finish off by saying 
thank you to everybody that supported us over this time. Thanks for all the lovely messages, cards, flowers. Cheese is always appreciated. Yeah. I mean, my friends brought some excellent cheese from Mike's Fancy Cheese. Yeah. And I, I think that was like my top, the top bereavement gift Absolutely. was the cheese. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> cheese I mean, and wine. If in doubt and somebody's bereaved, bring them cheese and wine and yeah. just say, I'm so sorry to hear yeah. about your loved one. I'm so sorry for your loss. I know when it took me a while when I was younger to learn that you that it's okay to say that yeah and that that's the right thing to say and there's nothing more complicated that you need to say than that yeah you don't need to do a whole big effusive thing no if you want to do that that's also really nice as yeah. well um but yeah I had really lovely texts from my friends and a, fr- a friend of mine Alex said um they were texting me and saying I'm so sorry to hear and um we're only recently friends, but we're, I think they're really like sort of an amazing person. They said great pain through loss only comes when there's been great love. <laughs> I thought that was really nice. That is true. And <laughs> our sister-in-law, my sister-in-law, your auntie-in-law, Ellen, says that love is always worth it. Yeah. It's always worth it. Um, And I would never not have those people in my life. I would never sacrifice the relationship to avoid the pain. This loss is a testament to, to how much we love them and how significant they are. But we will get through it and um, we thank you for your patience and love and everything else. Sorry about all of the damp signs that I've made <laughs> throughout this episode. <laughs> yeah. It's quite extreme. Yeah, that's okay. So we're done. But what I want to say is, this is the thing I should have said at the start, Hannah. Yeah. We have got a buy me a coffee page. Yeah. So it's buymeacoffee.com slash thanks therapy. And we are going to put the link on our socials. And basically we are, we're, Trying to raise money for um, promotional photos and the website. Yes, please. And also literal coffee. And uh, tissues. <laughs> and tissues. Sauces. <laughs> yeah, because we're coping. We're coping mainly through sauce. It's sauces. sauce. I need to go to the the skating. I need to go skate. <laughs> I need to throw my body around physically. And skating is expensive. Yeah. Okay. It's actually very reasonably priced. But buy us a coffee if you yeah. really want. And also, if you don't want to, that's also fine. That's totally fine as well. We'll still make the podcast. But we'll, we'll still be buy more coffee skint. anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thanks, Hannah. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, Therapy. You start, actually, based on this. What's the first time? Hello, I am Hannah. <laughs> <laughs> I was about to say, hello, welcome to the podcast. Which is not. <laughs> well, we've been off for like four weeks <laughs> or maybe six. I've noticed that you have a technique with your tears where sometimes you do like that. I've let them fall. let them fall out of your big eyes. Sometimes if I'm crying and it's not the time, I go into the bathroom and I go over the sink like that so they just fall directly out. And then there's no wetness on my face. That's I never amazing. told you about that. Maybe. I don't know. I've lost my memory. Look at the, the size of my fucking eyes. Like <laughs> the amount of water that comes out when I cry is like, it's actually, sometimes I'll be crying 
and my whole neck is wet. Yeah. My entire neck and yeah. like in my bra. Yeah. <laughs> and it's really extreme. So sometimes I just let them fall directly down out of my face and it's there's a lot less cleanup. Yeah. 